now I got to do this. Look at this. I got to go over here. Oh, my goodness. Today we're in Psalm 117. It is literally the shortest chapter in the Bible. It's the shortest chapter in the Bible. It's two verses. And it was sung by the people of Israel when they gathered together in worship. And so I'm going to read it now. Praise the Lord, all nations. Glorify him, all peoples. For his faithful love to us is great. And the Lord's faithfulness endures forever. Hallelujah. Can you say hallelujah? Hallelujah Hallelujah simply means praise the Lord. I want to tell you about a time that I got wrapped up in some drama. When my wife and I first got married, we got a basic cable package. But included with that basic cable package was Fox Soccer Channel. And I was happy. Because Saturday mornings, it was English Premier League. Sunday afternoon, English Premier League. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, the European Championship League. Every morning, Sky Sports was on. And I could follow uh, what was happening with the practices of my favorite team. I, I, they followed them around town, so I knew what they were doing and what they were doing with, with their girlfriends or wives or, or their coaches or trainers. I, I was in. I was in to Fox Soccer Channel, and I loved it. And then I found this other show on Fox Soccer Channel. It was a fictional show about a soccer team called the Dragons and their fight to win the English League Cup. And I got really into the show. I started watching it and recording it and taping it. I just really liked it. A fictional show. My wife said, what are you watching? Like, what is this show? And I said, it's, you, gotta, you just got to watch it. It's a great show. It's about the soccer team. It's a soccer show. And so she sat down with me once and watched it. And, um, and about 20 minutes in, she said, uh, I've watched this show for 20 minutes. And do you realize this is simply a soap opera for men? And I looked at her and I said, no, this is not a soap opera for men. This is about soccer. And she said, well, let me ask you this. What happens when they're not on the field playing soccer? Like what other things happen in the show? And I said, well, sometimes the players and their wives will like go out and spend a lot of money, like more money than they have. And she said, "Uh uh-huh. And I said, and one time, one time, two soccer players from the same team realized they were dating the same woman. And she just kind of nodded. And I said, and last week, the owner of one of the teams was secretly poisoned. And my wife just looks at me like this. And I said, you know, I, I didn't see it before, but you're right. This is a soap opera for men. This is all about drama. It's all about drama. See, I'd gotten caught up in drama without even realizing it. And you know, in life, it's easy to get caught up in drama because there's drama in relationships, there's drama in work, there's drama in your family, there's drama with money. In fact, all of life seems to be about some kind of drama, right? And it's easy to get wrapped up in it. And sometimes that drama is more serious, like tragedy, like this week. Sometimes that drama is tragedy with what happened at Stoneman Douglas High School. And, and life is dramatic enough, right? But when something like this happens, when big-time drama happens, it's completely disorienting. The drama of normal life is disorienting enough, but when things like what happened at Stoneman Douglas happened, it's really disorienting. 
And we get all wrapped up in it because it makes us lose our perspective. It's hard to remember in the midst of these things who God is and what he's committed to do and who we are in him and what he's called us to be. It's hard to remember those things just in everyday life. But in the drama of what happened this week, it's very difficult. Psalm 117 is here to remind us in the midst of the drama of God's unchanging character, of his absolute commitment. Psalm 117 was sung by Israel to reorient their hearts to who God was and what he had called them to do so that even if they got wrapped up in some drama or a little story, it would help reorient them with purpose and hope to God's story, to who God was. And today my hope is that in the midst of our drama, whether it's just the drama of everyday life or the drama of Stoneman Douglas or whatever it is, that we get caught up in the story of God even in the midst of life's drama. Verse 1 starts off and says, Praise the Lord, all nations. Glorify him, all peoples. This first verse is a purpose statement for God's people. God had saved Israel out of slavery, out of Egypt. He had freed them from the shackles of their oppressor in order that they might be a light to the nations. He had given them the promised land, saved them from Egypt so that they might have a purpose, to be a light in a dark world. They no longer were under, under the whip. They were in the land of milk and honey, not for relaxation, but so that they could reach the nations. They were there to call all people to see and experience and worship the one true God. They had a purpose. They were privileged for that purpose, and they were chosen for a calling, and they were redeemed in order to reach out, and they were blessed in order to bless others. And this first statement, praise the Lord all nations, glorify him all peoples, is reminding Israel and reminding us why we're here. We're here to call people to worship God. We're blessed in order to be a blessing. We're privileged for a purpose. And it makes me think about this move to a new building. I'm super excited. I'm really excited because some of the challenges, yeah. Because we're experiencing some challenges here that we won't have over there. Now we'll have new challenges, right? But we felt it was time for something new and God blessed us. He opened a door for us. But the blessing that we receive is ultimately not for us. It's so that we can be a blessing to the neighbors and the community and the city around us. And if we get wrapped up in this little story that we got a new building, rather than the fact that God has given us a building as a home base to do ministry in the community, that story's way too small. That's just drama. But if that building is a home base for us to be gospel people in the city and reach out with love, that's God's story. That's getting wrapped up in the right story, to be a light and show people Jesus. On Wednesday, uh, Pastor, maybe it's Thursday, Pastor Martin Vargas from Iglesia Real texted me and said, hey, I found this vanity. It's a really nice vanity, and uh, it's a fourth of the price. And I said, buy it. We, you know, that's a great price. We'll take it. So this man has been such a blessing to us. But he, he loaded up the vanity. He brought it over to the church, and him and I heaved this huge vanity up the stairs and placed it right in the fellowship hall there, and you probably saw it yesterday. And I was tired. I was, I was tired after that. I'm not as strong as I used to be. And um, 
So Pastor Martin and his wife were there, and they're taking pictures, and they're just celebrating what we're doing. And I was thinking, and as soon as Pastor Martin leaves, I'm going to go in my office and shut the door and just relax for a minute. I'm just going to enjoy this building. It's going to be nice. Well, as Pastor Martin and his wife are getting ready to leave, all of a sudden there is this woman I don't know in the kitchen. Like, I don't know where she came from. She's just there. And I say, hold on one second. I want to talk to you, but I need a minute to say goodbye to Pastor Martin and Miss, Miss Vargas. So they left, and I was talking to this woman, and it turns out she's and her daughter have just moved here from East Los Angeles, and they're struggling. And they're staying at a hotel right near IHOP. And she said, can you help me? with my hotel. We don't have the ability to pay for it tonight, and we're also hungry. And there was that moment. I want to kind of be in my office. I'm tired. I just lifted this vanity. But then there was the reminder. We've been blessed to be a blessing. We are called for a purpose. This building is not ultimately for us. It's to be a light in the community. And here we are. This woman's right in the kitchen. So I said, look, I, I, I can't do the hotel, but I can take you out to lunch. And so she went and got her daughter, and we were able to go enjoy lunch together and hear her story and connect with her and be a blessing. Now, I wanted to get some rest, but what did God use for his purposes? Blessing someone else. And that's what that building is for. As we sing, praise the Lord, all nations, glorify him, all peoples, it is a reminder of the purpose that we have as we move to this new building. But that statement is also a plea. It's a plea for all people. In the ancient Near East, when this was written, politics and religion were the exact same thing. And what I mean by that is each god had a local place where they reigned and had authority. So it would be like if Foster Park had its own god, and Highland Gardens had its own god, and Hollywood Beach had its own god. And those gods were believed to have power within their boundaries, but not outside their boundaries. They couldn't rule and show their power somewhere where they didn't reign. They could only do it within the borders of where their authority lied. But what Israel is pleading with other people is that our God has no borders. Our God can show his power anywhere he wants. He's not contained He's not controlled. In fact, he is greater than any other god. He can usurp another god's power within their boundaries because he's not held to any boundaries himself. Now, I know that in our day and age, that kind of talk is a little bit offensive because we want to think that every people have their own way of worshiping and every people have their own god, but it's true. God had already shown that this was the kind of god he was. He was a god without borders, in the book of Exodus, Pharaoh is holding God's people in oppression. And Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go so that we can go and worship the Lord. And in Exodus 5, Pharaoh says this, who is the Lord that I should obey him by letting Israel go? I don't know the Lord. And besides, I will not let Israel go. In other words, your God is not the God that reigns in Egypt. We have our gods. We have the God Hopi who rules over the Nile. We have the God Ra, who rules over the sun. The Lord is not God here in Egypt, so I will not obey him. And sort of what echoes in the background is, oh, you will, Pharaoh. Oh, you will, because the God of Israel is not bound by borders. And then what happens? 
God releases plagues on Egypt. And each of those plagues is a symbolic gesture to dismantle the God that Egypt's worshipped. So what happens? God turns the, blo- the Nile to blood. Hoppy is not in charge of the Nile. God is. What happens? God darkens the sun. Ra is not in charge of the sun. The Lord is. The God who has no boundaries. The God of Israel who's above all gods. And so when we say, praise the Lord all nations, glorify him, glorify him all peoples, it is a plea to people saying, There is no God but the one true God who rules and reigns without boundaries. No other God can control him. No no land can contain him. Please come and worship our God because he is the one true God. I think in our time, people say, look, I, I don't need God. I've got my gods that make things work. And they're not named Hoppy and Ra. They're named things like money, power, pleasure. Sex, self-fulfillment. But the amazing things about each of the gods of our age is they don't offer us the freedom that we truly want. They really just enslave us. I just need a little bit more money. And when I get a little bit more money, I'll be okay. And then after you get that little bit more money, if I just get a little bit more money, I'll be, in, I'll be okay. If I just get a little bit more pleasure, if I just get a little more pleasure to numb the pain, then I'll deal with my past and I can just move on. And, and then you numb the pain, and what do you got to do? A little more pleasure to numb the pain again, right? I need a little more money and a little more power to just have a little bit more control. I need a little more sex so I can feel a little more worthy of love. I need a little bit more self-fulfillment just so I can feel a little bit more significant. And then you're on the treadmill, and before you know it, you're enslaved. And Israel's plea and our plea It's for the nations of the world and the people of the city to put down those gods because they will ultimately enslave them and build your life around the one true living God. Why? For his faithful love to us is great. For his faithful love to us is great. There's so much confusion in our day about what love is. Simon Sinek, who's a business coach and an author, says, love isn't about intensity, it's about consistency. And what he's trying to do is help people see it's not always about a feeling, it's about when you get up in the morning and you put the other person first. You make the other person first and a priority, and you do that over a lifetime. Simon says, love's not about intensity, it's about consistency. But yet, in this statement, God's love is both intense and consistent. It's both great and faithful, for his faithful love to us is great. God's love is a covenant love. A covenant love and a covenant is an agreement that's bound by promise. And through Jesus Christ, God has covenanted his love to us. Tim Keller says that a covenant is far more intimate than signing a contract, but it is far more binding than any friendship. Listen to that again. A covenant is far more intimate than signing a contract, but is far more binding than any friendship. It's not that God has just made a real estate deal with us, nor is it that God's just friends with us. God has legally bound himself to consistently and intensely love us for eternity, and he will do it. 
For great is his faithful love to us. I love the word there, great, because in my own life, I think my sin is great. My shame is great. My struggles are great. My conflict is great. The drama in my life is great. But in the midst of all that, God's love for his people is great. God sees you exactly as you are, and he loves you. He binds his love to you so that his love is described as great. Now, the honest question then is, well, where was that love this week? I mean, let's just be honest. Where was that love at Douglas High? And I'll be straight with you. I don't have an answer. I don't have an answer. I don't know why, if God loves so greatly, why that type of evil and brokenness was allowed to happen. I don't know why God allowed it to happen. But I do know this. If I were God and I saw all the brokenness and evil and sin in this world, I would be out of here. I would be gone. I would be done. Yet God sees all the evil and brokenness and sin of humanity, and he still engages with his love. He hasn't backed away. He hasn't let go of his commitment. No matter how evil it gets, God does not remove himself from this world. In his great love for us, he sent his son into the heart of darkness to encounter evil, to be a light in the midst of darkness. Jesus was born in the midst of oppression. He was born in the midst of evil oppressors who were trying to kill him. He lived life under intense evil, under an evil government. He loved his enemies who did evil to him. He never sinned, and yet he underwent the payment for sin on the cross. He paid for your and my sin. On that cross, he bore the full weight of God's wrath against evil because of his great love for you. I don't know why Stoneman Douglas happened, but I knew that this, if I were God, I would not love this world, and yet God loves this world. He sent his son to die, and he continues to show his love through people like you and people like me who know Jesus. And so let me encourage you, if you have questions, grab hold of the love of God. Grab hold of the love of God, because one day in God's love, he will return to this world and he will banish evil forever. And he will, he will wipe every tear from our eyes, and he will make all things new. He is absolutely committed to that because the Lord's faithfulness endures forever. His commitment to fulfill his promises never wavers, no matter what happens in this world. And I know at times it feels like evil is winning, doesn't it? Doesn't it feel like evil is winning? I had this image in my mind all week of, of a wrestling match. And, and there's this part in a wrestling match where one opponent gets the other opponent's arm like this. And the match is about to be over. And the only hope that the person who looks like they're going to lose, the only hope that they have is to lean their body forward in hopes that the momentum can thrust the other arm down. And this position is called a break arm position because one person is in such a bad position, they are risking their arm being broke in order to overthrow the other person. 
And I think when things like this happen, it feels like evil is winning and God is in that break arm position. It's all over. Evil's gonna win. Doesn't Stoneman Douglas tell us that evil's going to win? It feels like evil has God right where it wants him. But God's commitment doesn't waver. No matter what happens, no matter what happens, God has evil right where he wants it. You see, when Christ returns, it's as if God in the break arm position is going to look across the table and wink at evil and then crush evil's hand, slam it down onto the, onto the table, pick up evil, throw it on the ground, trample it under its foot, and banish it forever. God has evil right where he wants it. In Romans 16, Paul says the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Now that's a story. Now that is some drama that I could get wrapped up in. In the midst of all this tragedy, God is still committed. He will win. Jesus has risen from the dead and has ascended and is at the right hand of God right now, waiting to return and make all things new. So no matter what you're facing in your life, no matter what drama you encounter, no matter what tragedy you see, God is victorious. He will win. And as we enter into situations like that, or with that hope in situations like Stoneman Douglas, and as we go across to this new facility, we have an incredible hope that God is victorious and that he will win in everything that he's committed himself to do he will do, because God's story cannot be stopped. There is nothing that we can encounter. There is no challenge, no drama, no tragedy that will stop God from being God. And so the psalmist writes, praise the Lord, all nations. Glorify him, all peoples, for his faithful love to us is great, and the Lord's faithfulness endures forever. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are on the throne, and we pray that you would help us in the midst of a dark week like this, that we would be a people of honest hope, honest with the questions that we have, and yet hopeful about the story we know that we are in, not our own drama, but your story, the one of Jesus who lived and died and rose again. Jesus, we long for you to come quickly and set things right. And we pray that by your spirit, you would comfort those who have encountered incredible tragedy and loss. We pray that the hope of the gospel would shine forth this week. And all God's people said, amen.